Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Then I become psychotic and I become aggressive. Uh, not physically aggressive, but... What were you doing? I was storming up and down the train station, yelling at people and bu- abusing people and swearing. Out of control. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of The Butterfield Effect. But before we get stuck into this juicy one, we need to talk about this week's sponsor. And this week's sponsor of the episode is good old me. And my live stand-up tour is going all over the country. Tickets are selling fast, so go and check out the link below to see if we're coming to a city near you. Today's guest on The Butterfield Effect is Craig Hamilton, a sports broadcaster, an author, and a mental health advocate. Ladies and gentlemen, I implore you to check this episode out. It is a conversation that needs to be had, not just with people who are suffering, but for people who may suffer in the future. Go and check out the audio version of this if you'd like to listen to it in the car, because it's on iTunes. You can check it out. Make sure you leave it a review. If you leave it a good review, I might even come over and shake your hand and kiss the babies. I don't know. I probably won't do that. That'd be weird. I'm not a politician. But you can also check it out on Spotify as well. So whatever way you want to listen to this, make sure you do, because it's very important. So prior to starting this podcast, we were talking about working and listening to different people who are, you know, they have life experience. And that's Mm. why I have people like you on this show, Mm. because I want to introduce to different people all around the world and through my channel and through all the different ways that I sort of broadcast information or or shows or comedy or uh, even YouTube videos. Giving life experience, and I think like the, the way that podcasts sort of work is you can have a million different people giving mm. all these people around the world their experience. And it helps people not have to live it themselves or even help them with their own life. Mm. And that's why I wanted to have you on. And I mean, mm. you were just talking about a podcast idea that you have down the track uh, with a gentleman who also is in broadcasting. You're, of course, in radio broadcasting yourself, and which you know puts the pressure on me in this, <laughs> uh, in this show being a... I'm interviewer. under pressure. I normally ask the questions. <laughs> I'm under pressure, mate. I, I don't know what I'm I'm not doing. usually I'm in amateur. this chair. I'm usually in that chair. <laughs> it's good to have you. But uh, I think what we should do is really address something that uh, everyone seems to be talking about at the moment. And mm-hmm. one, of the ones, one of the ones I think I had to do, wanted to do with this uh, podcast was really get to the brass tacks early uh, with guests and then work our way through and, and figure mm-hmm. out their lives and what they're doing and opinions on things. Sure. And one of the things that I want to talk about, and that's why I wore this shirt, uh, this is mm-hmm. from Livin, who's a charity, works with mental health, is, is talk about your journey uh, with mental health. Because for me, uh, as someone who's had their own issues, all that type of stuff, as most people have, mm. uh, I, I'm a big believer in that everyone has had something or will have something in the future or is dealing with it currently. I wanted us to hear about I want to sit back and, and listen to what you had to say about all that, that entire topic when it comes to mental health. Yeah. Um, well, I think I'm typical of many Australians and particularly most Australian men. I didn't think I'd ever be mentally ill. Simple as that. Mm. I, I thought I wasn't one of those people. I always thought I was um, well, uh, mentally particularly, physically well. I looked after myself. I, I didn't abuse uh, my body, I like to drink, uh, probably in excess at times, but nothing out of the ordinary. And then at 37 years of age, I have a complete meltdown. I have a complete breakdown, which I don't see coming. Mm. And so that changes my life, and it did. That thought, the word mentally ill, mm. like, I don't think that... And I maybe I'm off with this type of stuff. I think there's such a spectrum when it comes yeah. to the word mentally ill. Yeah. Because the same idea for someone who has panic attacks, they're mentally ill. And then someone on the other side of the spectrum who is 
hearing voices and they, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're violent or whatever. Yeah. Uh, they're mentally ill as well. There's that spectrum that mm. covers everybody. Mm. And that sort of makes people who are in your position or, or anyone's position who seems to hear from the doctor or people around them that they're mentally ill or they've got anxiety, depression, mm. uh, OCD, all those things that are under that umbrella, it makes them almost hide from yeah. that reality. Yeah. There is a spectrum. You're right. It's one end of the scale to the other, which in, and can be underneath that umbrella of mentally ill. It can be garden variety depression, and I'm reluctant to use the garden variety mm. description, but you know, and you can be moderately depressed. You can be a bit flat. You can be down. You can be um, a bit anxious. You can have some form of anxiety, some form of a mild panic attack, which might manifest itself like a sweaty palm or a heart rate's up a little bit, you know? Uh, and, and so you're on the bottom end, if you like, of the spectrum of what we might call a mental health condition, right? At the far end, at the other end of that scale, you're talking psychosis, mm. and you're talking about the psychotic illnesses, you're talking about schizophrenia, you're talking about bipolar disorder. So, uh, and where you are, experiencing hallucinations, you are experiencing delusional behaviour, uh, non-logical behaviour. And then you come back a little further, for a bit back this way, and you might be manic, have manic episodes, uh, elevated mood. So you come a bit back towards the middle where your mood is up, right? So you're a bit more up than the next person might be. So you're a little bit more animated than the next person might be. You speak a bit faster than the, the next person might. You're not listening. You're only interested in hearing your own voice. Uh, and you think you know everything, right? Sounds like me, yeah. Sounds a lot like me <laughs> time too. But that's, we would call that manic or elevated mood. And then you come back to what we would call normal, mm. which is in the middle, right? So you're not depressed, you're not manic, you're not psychotic, uh, you're not suicidal. You're just good. Yeah. And so, so that's that's that spectrum you talk about. I guess most people's lives, it ebbs and flows. You know, mm. there are periods of sadness, there are periods of adulation, all that type of stuff. You know, people yeah. can naturally, and they're often quick to go off the mark and say, I'm depressed. But I guess depression and even with anxiety, a lot of people get anxious about really natural things. I get anxious before I go on stage, right? That's a natural thing to do. But when you're doing it where I've experienced as well, sitting on the lounge, you're supposed to be relaxed and being extremely anxious or mid-panic attack. Yeah. That's not a natural thing. That's when the, uh, the order of things are incorrect. I mean, I guess that's something that a lot of people... And this is the big question behind this podcast, particularly with having you here, is this whole idea with men's health. Why are men killing themselves at rates that we haven't seen before? Why are the mental health uh, rates increasing every single year? It's an answer that I don't have a question to, mm. but I thought maybe you would. I've got a few theories, and they are only theories. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert. I'm not a psychiatrist, a psychologist. I'm not a counsellor. I'm a lived experience um, mental health consumer. Mm. I've been through the you know, the range from which I would call from, you know, minus five through to plus five, if that zero is in the middle. I think there's a few things. The stigma is still huge. Uh, we're getting better. But the stigma around having a mental illness is still an issue today. We've never been able to talk about it. Mm. Going back through the centuries, we've never, ever been able to talk about it comfortably because of the judgment and the fear that you would be treated differently. And you've got to go, you can go right back uh, to, to find examples of that. And some of the most successful people uh, that have ever walked the planet had some form of mental illness. Uh, Winston Churchill had bipolar disorder. Abraham Lincoln experienced acute depression. And some in the entertainment field that you'd be well aware of, you know, world famous that did great things. Robin Williams mm. experienced terrible mental health problems mm. with bipolar, highs and lows, and tragically took his own life. Jim Carrey's another one. Um, sports people, Andrew Johns. I think he's the best player I've ever seen play rugby league. Joey has bipolar disorder mm. and he's talked about it. So um, why the stigma, right? Still there, the embarrassment factor. And it's harder for men because we're conditioned that way from day dot 
don't show them you're hurt. Um, you know, man up, be a, be a, a, a bloke, mm. be a bloke. Mm. And by the time you get into middle age or your, um, your episode of mental ill health, and it can happen when you're a teenager too, you don't have, doesn't have, to, you don't have to be in your 30s, then you don't have any tools. You've got no toolkit to deal with it, right? Um, the other thing is our lifestyle, I think is a, is a huge thing today because we're distracted 24-7. The capacity to be distracted in our lives and not be in the moment and be present is huge. And technology's got a lot to answer for there because we, we all have iPhones, you know, and we've got notifications. Every time something comes up on Twitter, every time something comes up on Facebook, every time something comes up on Instagram, it's beep, beep, beep. And there's a tendency there to go, oh, someone's posted mm. or, or you know, someone's liked something that I've written. With, 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 as you said, with teenagers, this is a big one. Mm. People are desperately trying to get that small hit of dopamine that yeah. is associated with like or a share or whatever you've put out there. Because everyone's, like, it's not just me or yourself who's a content creator. Uh, you of the old school with the radio and uh, the TV, all that type of stuff, me with this new sort of YouTube sort of business. You know, as a content creator, you put something out there, you want people to react to it. But with everybody having the ability to publish on Facebook, Instagram, uh, yeah. Snapchat, YouTube, they are all basically creating content for people to consume. And if you don't get a positive review of that, a lot of people, it really hits them hard. And people are getting, and then with kids, they talk about kids getting bullied, now they're getting bullied at home. You know, they're getting bullied at school, they're copping all this shit from all these type of fuckwits in their class or whatever, and then they get home and they're still copping shit. They're still getting death threats, so I'm gonna mm. bash you tomorrow. And they're, on, they're all constantly in this, this, this scope of being fearful and mm. you know, cortisol levels are through the roof and they're freaking out. And then they go to bed and they wake up anxious, nervous, worried about going to school. Yeah. And I think it also works with people outside of the social media scape. A lot of men who turn to the bottle. Alcohol is an anti-anxietic. They get home from work. They've had a big day. All of a sudden, they've got no stimulus going on. You know, people, you're not working. Your brain's not active and you don't know what to do. So you sit down, you might feel agitated. You might feel just a bit weird. So you start drinking and then that becomes the habit. That leads to depression, uh, it makes the anxiety worse. And on your topic, on your, uh, your point of the uh, stigma associated with uh, anxiety and depression and mental illness in, in general, I think that the stigma is becoming less, but the stigma for receiving treatment is, hasn't changed at all. Mm. People are doing it, they're going out and getting help, but I don't think that a lot of blokes if they're in a footy team or they're in a group of friends or whatever, would be able to have a conversation with their friends saying, yeah, I'm seeing a psychologist, I'm seeing a psychiatrist, uh, I'm on medication or I'm doing this to treat uh, whatever I'm dealing with uh, outside of the positive environment of the sport or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the stigma's changing. Uh, I think it's definitely getting better and easier for people to talk about because it is so prevalent. So people have to talk about it. But even with... Um, with myself, I first had a bit of an anxiety uh, issue when I was in school. I had two terms off. And the doctor said to me, because I was feeling sick every morning, and the doctor said to me, oh, are you worried about something? I was like, no, no I'm not worried about anything. And I had the two terms off. It turns out it was just anxiety. They did all the tests. They put a camera down my throat, up my ass, great <laughs> times. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought it was just, just, I don't know. I didn't know what was wrong with me. It turns out it was just anxiety. And the question is, are you worried about something? Hmm. You don't have to be able to answer that with a yes because the subconscious has taken over at this point. Correct. Correct. So how, I guess the thing for people who are watching this is, and if, you, if you're struggling with something at the moment, hmm. chances are if you're feeling off, then there's a reason for it, but you don't need to know the answer. Correct. There's a few things there. There's yeah. a few things you've just said I'd like to address. Sure. We'll, we'll go back to the bullying. Okay, yeah. the bullying is huge, right? It's a huge thing for kids today. Uh, if you, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age, you're on social media, you are exposed to it. Now, when I went to school, and probably when you went to school, uh, there's bullying. It happens in the schoolyard, it happens down at the footy field. Uh, you, you're exposed to it there because bullies have been around forever. Mm. But that was it. It would finish there until <clears throat> maybe you got back 
to school the next day. Now it can be 24-7. It starts in the, in the schoolyard, but then it's social media. As you say, I'm going to get you. I'm going to bash you. I'm going to do this to you. Um, you should hate yourself. I hate you. Everyone hates you. Why don't you kill yourself? That's going to be the promo for this episode, by the way. <laughs> sort of crap. <laughs> Just like you this, talking to me. Right? That sort of stuff. Now, for vulnerable kids, they are very serious messages. Mm. For someone who is comfortable within themselves, strong sense of self, you brush it away. You just It's literally water off a duck's back. And the bully, interestingly, goes, mm. can't touch, can't touch him. Too strong, good sense of self. I'm not getting anywhere. Let me find somewhere else to someone else who's a bit more vulnerable. And then you have the tragic circumstances of the, the death of Dolly, Ev- Dolly Everett, that beautiful girl from the Northern Territory, who took her life, 15 years of age, everything to live for. But there were kids who took a set to her online and bullied her. I mean, these are the things we've got to address. And resilience is a word that gets thrown around a lot. But... It's something we've got to do, I think, as a community in terms of the, the kids are on social media. We've got to call it out, call it out uh, to, to try and make an impact here, to change these statistics. You talked about the stats. They're, they're a disgrace. Anyway, next thing you went on to was the, the male thing and not being able to be confident in having sitting down around a table, having a coffee, having a beer and saying, oh, I'm seeing a psychologist, I'm seeing a psychiatrist, I've got a mental health problem, I've been diagnosed with depression, I've got anxiety, I'm having panic attacks, I've got bipolar disorder. Have I told you? They're, they're tough conversations because of the stigma. And you're right, 5% of blokes might be less have those conversations. 5%, I think, would be comfortable enough. The other 95% don't want to go there. And I understand that because I was one of those 95%. Mm. I wouldn't have talked about what was happening with me if you'd paid me and paid me well. So that's the next step to, to get through. And we are making improvements. There are improvements. The more high profile people who tell their stories and say, well, you've said today, you'd experience panic attacks. Mm. You know? That's something I'll get into later yeah. on when we talk about our own experiences with that. But, mm. And that's why I did it. That's why I, I've talked about it in, in, in videos on my channel mm. because it's important, and I knew it from my own perspective, it's important when you hear that someone uh, successful or someone who's doing well or someone who's living something you see as a normal life mm. is able to do it with the condition that you have been diagnosed with. You see that and you go, okay, it's going to be okay. It's it's doable. It's going to be hard, yeah. but we can do it. I wanted to put, just touch on the bullying thing. Like I did that at school. I was a bully. Yeah, I was bullied. You know, it was a back and forth sort of thing with different people. Like I'd cop shit and I'd put shit on other people. You know what I mean? Was, I think I guess it was sort of a coping mechanism, or maybe I was just an asshole. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think kids understand, and I don't know if they have the capacity to understand how much that affects people, because you go home every day as someone who doesn't cop any shit and you're happy and you do your thing, you play PlayStation, whatever you want to do. You play Fortnite, you do all your things. But these kids who are copping shit all day, they are upset, they're crying, they're thinking about how they're worthless, they don't see a way out of this, they don't understand that one day school will end and they will walk out in the real world and realise that, oh, it's not that bad. Hmm. But in saying that, there are people that get bullied in the workplace as well, so people cop that shit as well. And... I don't think that these kids who are bullying people, I don't think they understand the full scope of it. I don't think they understand how ferocious they are acting towards these mm-hmm. people and how they're affecting these kids. Yeah. And I don't know how you even talk to them about that. There are bullying programs and they laugh it off. You know, they're kids. They have to learn somehow. And often it takes a, a, someone taking their own life or drastically doing something for them mm. to go, holy shit, you know, this is caused by me. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know. You're around this. Perhaps you have a better answer than I. But how do you stop kids from doing these things, as you said, have been going around since the dawn of time? I think the first thing with bullying is you look at the environment the bully has come from. Okay? This behaviour, whether uh, in, in whatever circumstance, whatever situation, right, it's played out in, 
the bullying is on the subconscious level. Mm. I don't think there's anyone who's bullied who has actually gone to, to school or into the workplace or down the footy field and thought consciously and said, I'm going to bully someone today. I'm actually going to go over there and start bullying them or I'm going to bully them at school. It's a subconscious thing. So they're not thinking about it, but it's there. So these are sub, and these are powerful thoughts. Subconscious mm. thoughts are really powerful. So the first thing I'd say, have a look at the environment the bullies come from. It might be the norm, the norm in their environment. Mm. So all they're doing is just coming out and repeating that behavior. Possibly, not necessarily. So how do we address it? Well, you're right. In workplaces, it, it happens as well with mature adult 40, 50, 60-year-olds who are still acting out this uh, bullying behaviour and who have no idea at all about the impact that their behaviour can have on others. And for those that are a, a bit, a bit uh, sensitive, if they are sensitive souls, if they are vulnerable and they're not used to the argy-bargy, mm. then they can be impacted greatly. Mm. It can I'm be a, interpretation, like how people it, interpret what you say to them. Yeah. They might think it's a joke when they say it to yeah. you or they're just jibing you or That's whatever. Right. And as you said, if you're a sensitive soul yeah. that comes into you and you carry it with you for the rest of the day, yeah. when you go home, you're trying to relax, that's all you're thinking about, what he said, what she yeah. said, all that type of shit. I'm aware of situations here, apart from kids getting bullied, I know people in workplace situations, right? And they're my age, you know, 10 years younger, in their 40s and their 50s, and they're having health impl implications now through bullying behaviour from superiors. Hmm. They're on medication because of the impact workplace bullying has had on them. They're off work for those reasons. Some of them are being medically retired. And if those, circum if those situations around the, the bullying were removed, their work life would be a hell of a lot better hmm. and they would... Um, you know, be able to deal with the, um, the behaviour and get their health right. Having said that, there's often undiagnosed mental health conditions underlying all that, right, with the person who is being bullied. So, you know, there might be a low-grade depression there. There might already be an anxiety there. There might already be, a, you know, an undiagnosed bipolar or a mood disorder there, which is exacerbated. Mm by someone who's bullying you. That trigger. A trigger, Yes. exactly. And we talked about before that you had your own experience mm. with mental illness. What was the trigger for you? Was, was, there, was there one event that took place that you, you noticed that there was an issue or was it a slow lead up? That's a really good question because my exposure to mental illness or my um, diagnosis and the episode I had was, um, Huge, it was. It could have ended tragically. It uh, ended up. I ended up psychotic. I'd been. I'd been. Um, this was the year two thousand. Okay, so we're going back now, nearly twenty years. Nearly twenty years ago, I was thirty-seven, and nothing in my external life you could say would be a problem. You know, someone from outside looking in at my life. You know, I got a great job job I love, broadcasting, sport, I've got a great family, I've got fantastic friends, many of whom I'd been to school with, I'd known forever, I had no financial problems, you know? So um, people look in and say, mate, this guy's got his shit together. And internally I was imploding, Im absolutely imploding, and I had no idea why, and that made it harder, not easier, because I'm going, why the hell would I be depressed? So this went on for seven months, and this depression just got worse and worse and worse. How do you mean imploding? Oh, just ex internally, um, uh, imploding's the, the, the word, the best word I can use to describe it. All the, the, there's some really severe symptoms, you know, uncomfortable, painful symptoms, like anxiety, burning sensation across the shoulders. I couldn't sleep. I was thinking all the time, churning over thoughts at night, what I'd done that day, what I'd done the, the, you know, the day before, what was I going to do in a week from now? Never any peace. 
the exhaustion mm. through that. Totally exhausted all the time. And so, I, you know, I call that a form of implosion when there's nothing doing that I can explain that everything's shutting down mm. and I'm bringing it right in close and I'm not talking to anybody and I'm not asking for help and I'm not getting any professional help because I choose not to because I'm an Australian bloke and I need to suck it up and get on with this. So the depression got worse and worse and worse. Uh, you know, negative thoughts, um, despairing thoughts, anxiety, social withdrawal, didn't want to go out, didn't want to speak to anyone, didn't want to eat anything. Uh, so the um, all of that gets worse and worse and worse. Then I still haven't been to a doctor. And then by June of 2000, I start having suicidal thoughts. And I'm going, what the hell? Seven months before that, I'm on the top... You know, I'm on the top of my game. Life's great. And in, in seven months from then, I'm suicidal. So that's the slide into a deep depression. That is serious clinical depression. So, and there's only one step to go from there, and that is to take your life. So when uh, people say, uh, you know, why would you tell this story? I say, I'd like to save a few lives to mm. start with and make a difference to the next individual, their family and their friends, because I have come through it. I have survived that. So I think it's important and I'm very passionate about that. And then of course, there's the other, the flip side with the bipolar. Within five weeks, my mood went through um, an elevated move. But by this stage, I was put on medication for the suicidal thinking, finally got it to a doctor. Hello, what a good move that was. Mm. And so the medication after about five weeks started to work, brings me back up to that point we talked about, the zero from yep. minus five. And so steadily then, my mood starts <clears throat> lifting. Back to where I would say my normal, what I, you know, I'm more up usually than down. Mm. So I'm a little bit up, that's my normal state. Well, I kept going past that point, past that point. I kept going higher and higher and higher and within I, was, I went through mania and uh, so a lot of ideas lots of energy loud talking uh, not listening to anyone else you know better than anyone else um, so and that happened fast and then psychosis and the psychotic episode happened on the train station in Newcastle uh, Broadmeadow railway station three days before the Sydney Olympics because I'm back to work by this stage, and I'm a broadcaster, and I'm a sports broadcaster. So I get a gig to go down to Sydney to work on the Sydney Olympics. Now, if you're a broadcaster and a sports broadcaster, that's a dream come true. That's the biggest gig you can get, but I don't make it. I'm about to get on the train, and I've got my media pass around, which says access all areas, which means I can, once I finish my shift, I can go and watch anything I like just by flashing this pass. And um, then I become psychotic and I become aggressive, uh, not physically aggressive, but I'm aggressive with myself. I'm just, um, I lose the touch with reality. And um, you behave like that on a train station, you're gonna create some uh, attention and uh, I did and by that stage, they couldn't handle the situation. They stopped the trains and the police came and picked me up. I was psychotic. What was happening at the train station? Uh, at the time. What, what were you doing? I was storming up and down the train station, yelling at people and abusing people and swearing. Out of control. Out of control. And I remember it all very well, which is interesting. That is interesting. You would think if you're in such a manic stage, or yeah. a psychotic stage, as yeah. you said, mm. you would think that this part of your logical brain wouldn't be able to record such information. You would. You would think that. But uh, you know I've written two books about mm. my experiences with mental illness. And the first one starts, um, I'll give the book a plug. Absolutely. It's called Broken Open. And it starts, the first chapter starts on the railway station that day. And with the, the behaviour, the, the, the psychotic episode, and then we work back and say, well, how did we get to here? But um, 
so yeah, the so I'm being abusive. Haven't touched anyone. Like I'm a lover. Mm. I'm not a fighter. So the you know I'm I'm just out of control. And you do that, you behave like that, then it's a police matter, and it still is today. You know, and quite often that's appropriate because particularly if you've got people who are who are um, they're armed and they've got weapons and we've seen some tragic results, mm. tragic circumstances there. Um, and police, the police picked me up, had a bit of a scuffle, didn't want to go, wanted to go to the Olympics. And then I was uh, hospitalised and I watched the Olympics in the psych hospital in Newcastle, 12 days. Wow. It's a hell of a story. It is. But I remember it. And that is the interesting thing because I remember it well enough to start a chapter of a book and write about it um, and, and recall it. It was, I suppose, in some ways like an out-of-body experience. Mm. The whole uh, idea of depersonalisation, I think, mm. is that sort of, that realm anyway. Yeah. And that's a really interesting one. Mm. Uh, I mean, to think that and for people to listen to this and see you, as you said, on the top of your game, you're going mm. to the Olympics and this sliding, uh, sliding scale, this sliding uh, into a deep, dark world, mm. into hell, really. Mate. There's, there's a chapter in the book called Heaven and Hell. Yeah. And it, it, when you are down the bottom, um, then you, you are, when you're so clinically depressed uh, that you have suicidal thoughts, it's the scariest place you mm. can be. When you are psychotic, right? Now, with bipolar one disorder, it's a psychotic illness. So there are big highs and big lows. Yes. Now, from that point... Um, when I was in the tra- in the um, in the police wagon mm. on my way to the psych hospital, which is still one of the great days of my life, <laughs> it really is because I, you know, people say, "Oh, you must have must have been pissed off. You missed the Olympics." Well, for three months I was biggest gig in town, but then it dawned on me that I was a very lucky boy that day. Yeah to get a diagnosis, to be taken in safely. Yeah. And the guys who did the you know, police who did that job, I don't know who they were, but hi guys, they did a fantastic yeah. job, got me safely um, into hospital. But that 15 minute um, ride in the paddy wagon in the midst of a psychotic episode when you're going rapid cycling, right? Rapid cycling highs and lows. One minute you think you're going to heaven. And the next minute you think you're going to hell. And both of those states are real in your mind at the time. Scariest 15 minutes of my life. Mm. So whatever life throws at me from from, uh, from here on. Yeah, um, you can deal yeah. with it. <laughs> deal with it. Absolutely handle these it. Are, mate, these are, life is, um, life is beautiful and life is a dawdle in comparison to dealing with that. And you do, you are a very lucky person. You're a very sick person at one stage and to get yeah. the help that you needed. And this is the thing. Just because you're a sick person at one point, mm. it doesn't mean that you are a leper. No. You know, you come, Look, you come through these things. This is, this is a very good point you raised there because this is the thing I'm trying to get across. Um, I've got a lot of things I'm trying to get across when I talk about mental illness and recovery. Mm. See, a lot of, there's a lot of conversations that are had, and recovery is not even mentioned when it comes to mental illness. You know, you, you're in that pigeonhole. You're in that box. Yep. You're bipolar, you're depressed, you're, ang- ang- uh, you know, you're anxious, you've got panic uh, disorders, you've got OCD, mm-hmm. you've got you know, any number of different labels. That's your label. Straight in the box. Yep. Very rarely do we hear the word recovery mentioned when it comes to any of those things. Recovery happens every day. Mm. People recover. They manage their lives. They don't have, a, you, know, um, you know, an onset of, you know, um, you know, symptoms again. They get on with their lives and that's great and that's possible and it happens far more than many people realise and so people need to hear that story. Because we only hear the really negative stories. Mm. We only hear when mental illness takes a life. Yeah. We don't hear when mental illness is put into remission, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. And, and, and as we said with the, with the police being involved 
And you know, having those people involved in a certain situation like you were in, mm. you see so many people who haven't been lucky like you to be picked up and taken to the place they need to be, mm. the, the homeless population. Absolutely. How many people do you see out homeless who are talking to themselves, they're in a whole different realm Yeah, because they're mentally ill? You see, you see them everywhere. I was just in Darwin, and yeah. the mentally ill people up there that I saw was incredible. Mm. So many people who haven't got the help they need, yeah. and they don't have the infrastructure put in place to get that help yeah. in, in the foreseeable future, not just now. Mm. Like, I can't see that happening at any point mm. up, oh, in, Zach, up there. I remember a few years after I'd been discharged from hospital, and I was diagnosed with bipolar one disorder. I was stabilized with medication. It's medication I still take today. My health today is as good as it's ever been. I feel better today at 56 than I did when I was 36. Mm. I look after myself. My life's changed a lot in the, in the choices I make. Two years after I was hospitalized, I was working in Sydney um, reasonably regularly on weekends broadcasting uh, rugby league. And you'd go for a walk down George Street, and I used to go down to the rocks. That would be my walk, and I'd go down to the rocks and I'd have breakfast and coffee down there. And I would see a lot of homeless people. And I would see a lot of people who were, excuse me, they were um, lying on cardboard boxes, and they, if they were lucky, they'd have a sleeping bag, and some would have a blanket, or a pillow, and they might have a tin in front of them. I am homeless if you can spare a few coins. And, you know, as you say, there'd be some would be sitting there and they'd be talking to themselves, clearly mentally ill. And I had a, an epiphany, if you like, on one of those Saturdays. And I thought, there's Craig Hamilton right there. Mm. If he doesn't have a family, if he doesn't have a job, if he can't afford medication, and if he has no friends, there's me. And that's the truth. That's what happens. That, that cycle, once you get to experience the sort of episode that I had, and it was, hey, it was serious stuff. Serious stuff. It's like now, when I talk about it, it's like it happened to someone else. Yeah. Right? Because I've put, and I can speak very openly and comfortably about it because I've got past that, all that bullshit of shame and stigma. But if, if you get to that, if you don't have that safety net underneath you, which the, the people who can pick you up, that can get Humpty Dumpty and put him back together again, then the family's gone, the job's gone, how are you going to hold down a job mm. when you come out of a psych ward diagnosed with a psychotic illness? So you haven't got a job. Highly unlikely you're going to get another one. So then you uh, have to have medication, and medication's not cheap, right? You also can't afford a psychologist, let alone a psychiatrist. So what happens? You end up there. And our public health system... Uh, particularly in the mental health area, is a disgrace. Absolutely. It's a debacle. Mm. It's, it's a cot case. The system is a cot case. When you have people who are presenting at um, hospitals, at public hospitals, with mental health problems, and they're saying, give me a bed. I've got a mental health problem. They're saying, oh, look, we, we don't have any beds. We don't have any room for you. They're out. They've tried. They've made the effort. They know they've got a fair idea in many cases that they're not well. But you know, how, many, if, how many knockbacks are you going to take before you give up trying to get help? How many knockbacks are you going to take before you... And then is suicide the... Is the is That's suicide the, easy, the, the easy option well, than dealing with the It's a hard shit. option. Hard option, no doubt. Hard option. But rather than dealing with the people that keep knocking you back and telling you you're not healthy, or you're not, there's nothing wrong with you or yeah. that type of shit... And yeah. in your own mind, and I'm someone who's also gone through these thoughts that are terrifying. Mm. And you think to yourself, I'm going crazy. Yeah. This is mad. This isn't me. And logical me is like, no, no, this is terrible. And I can only imagine what someone in a deplorable situation, like someone out on the street, is thinking yeah. on a daily basis. No wonder that the suicide rate is where it is when they can't get a bed. 
you break your leg, right? Or you're involved, you or I are involved in a car accident at some stage today and we get smashed up, okay? And we have multiple, multiple uh, broken limbs and we head up to hospital, to one of the public hospitals. Mate, we're straight in. Mm. We're straight through emergency. We're straight into a uh, whatever the level of our injuries are. We might be straight into an x-ray to find out what's busted, anything critical. Is there any bleeding? Let's do some, you know, it's doing a bit of patching up here. Any organ damage? It's just done. It's accepted as the norm. Yet you've got someone, and that's, you or I might be critically ill, you know, yet someone who's in the same position, who has a mental health problem, who's mentally ill, is just as vulnerable as you and I are in our car accident, that's life-threatening as well. Hmm. Are they getting the same treatment? No, they're not. They're not it's not a level playing field, and that's got to change. And I think the, 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 um, those at the top of the tree don't get it. And I'll, I'll put an exception in there, Greg Hunt, who is the uh, federal health minister, he gets it. You know why he gets it? Because he grew up in a family with a family member who was mentally ill, and I think it was his mum. So he's made that his mission, if you like. He's going to drive change. He gets it because he's seen it. But there's so many who just don't get it. From my own uh, experience, and I won't mention anything, names or anything like that, for privacy reasons for the individual, but uh, there was someone who went, a job I was working, and this young man, he would have been about 27, 28, he continually went to a public hospital asking to be put in, to be mm. admitted. Uh, because he was he was recovering from a certain mental illness and he started doing drugs again. Yeah. And he was uh, becoming increasingly aggressive. He was becoming increasingly depressed. And at one point after about four or five weeks of constantly being knocked back, sent home, going up in ambulances, that was the point he got to. It was like, call in the ambulance. Because yeah. he was like, I will get in if I go up in an ambulance. The ambulance knocks him back. He gets to the point where I turn up at his house one day and he is yelling, throwing things, trying to fight his mum, all these crazy things, punching glass, mm -hmm. having a, a drug-induced drug psycho, psycho, psychotic event. And that was the only reason that he got admitted. Yeah. Because he was threatening other people's lives. Yeah. Like that's something that could have been intervened if the public, had, if public hospitals had the infrastructure in place mm. many weeks earlier. Yeah. And we wouldn't have got to that point where somebody could have been injured, killed, or mm. scarred for life. Yeah. And it's just a terrifying thing to think, even back to the point about the homeless people, that that could have been you. Mm. I felt when I was increasingly at my peak, and my anxiety was increasing, and I was at my peak of my, my issue that I was going to be that person homeless. Mm. Because if I, as you said, if I didn't have a family, if I didn't have friends, if I didn't have people who were supporting me, if I didn't go and support myself mm. with my doctor and mm. my psychologist, yeah. then I very much could have been one of those people that either ended up dead or fought the, that hard battle of your, your own mind on a daily basis. Mm. And my, my anxiety, just so I can clear up for anyone who hadn't heard about it, I think I've spoken to you about it before, but to clear it up, where it came from was uh, my condition with epilepsy. So I have an epileptic uh, problem. It's just called epilepsy because it's, it's, it's a weird thing. My neurologist was like, I don't know what you've got, but it's sort of like this, so that'll do. Uh, so what happens is I lose control of my eyes, I go blind in this eye, and my head turns like that. I can't pull it back, I can't do anything. It's a very weird situation. It's happened to me for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, it used to happen when I was playing footy, I'd take a hit up and because of the big collision and the basically it happens when my eyes can't focus and we, it's, fucking, it's a whole weird fucking thing. But it used to happen in the footy field, very embarrassing. And one day after about three or four years of having it, it happened to me while I was running water uh, for the footy team. And I just, I just, I don't collapse, I stay conscious, but I sort of sat down on the ground because it's a very, it's a weird experience. And it was very, very embarrassing. And then post that, I started having all these really weird tension through the neck and I thought I had something wrong with my neck. I had an MRI, there was nothing on my neck. And at, the, at that moment, my doctor, who's the night's doctor, Peter McGeek, he said, mm. you've got anxiety. Mm. And I didn't believe it. I was like, I have nothing to be anxious about. But it's funny you mentioned earlier on in this podcast about the burning sensation across your back. Yeah, You're the first person that I've ever heard talk exactly about what I felt like mm. for almost a year done a daily basis this burning weird sensation that you're always constantly trying to like stretch out and over time i've learned the only way it disappears is when you stop thinking about it 
and stop, you know, worrying about it. I used the cold shower. That was the way I, the only way for about three months that I could manage it in the, in the middle of the night when it would visit, when it would wake me up. Right. Middle of winter, cold shower, just to, because it, it was burning. Yeah. It feels almost, weird. It's a weird but thing. But really debilitating. And that's one of the things. The physical symptoms yeah. of anxiety yeah. is something that a lot of people don't understand. No. That even my old man, he said to me, mate, you just need to be able to calm down more. And that's mm. true. But mm. when you're in an anxious state, when you constantly have your cortisol levels through the roof and you mm. don't really know how to sort of fix that, mm. you can be sitting there watching TV, relaxed. You've had a big day, whatever. You've got home. And you feel like instead of this relaxing, nice moment with a cup of tea, you've got a tiger next to you threatening mm. your life. Mm. That's how your adrenaline is rushing through your body. That's how your, your blood vessels are dilating. You're sweating, you're freaking out, you're having hot flushes. I thought I was going through menopause. Mm. That's how fucking crazy I was. <laughs> All in the meanwhile, I'm going through this enormous growth in my career. I'm going on tour. It was the best time of my life and at the exact same time. Professionally. Professionally, at yeah. the exact same time. And, and personally, beautiful relationship, the whole thing. Yeah. And per, but when it came to my own mental health, I've never been more, uh, I've never been sadder. I wasn't depressed. I was just in this horrible place. Mm. And it's only through seeking treatment, uh, improving my own life uh, when it comes to... It's a weird one for me because I work at home. So I would get up. I would no one would be at home. And I'd sort of do a bit of work here and there. Mm. Now that I put structure in place, I've got a couple of dogs that depend on me. Mm -hmm. You know, I get up. Dogs are very good oh, for mental health. Absolutely. Because they love you. They do. Unconditionally. Unconditionally. Yeah. And they will always and they'll always look to you. Mm. They'll always be happy to see you. Mm. You know, unless you've got a real shit of a dog. <laughs> you know, put that out of the back, they'll be right. I, I got a greyhound. And honestly, if people mm. are watching this and you want a dog, the greyhounds <laughs> are the best dog to get. Rosie is the yeah. mate. I don't know if you've ever had much experience with greyhounds, but they are Oh we've we know people, I know people who race them. Yeah. And and but they treat them so well. They yeah. they treat them like they are they sleep inside. Beautiful. They are home pets. And that is the thing with the greyhound racing yeah. industry. I, I don't like the people that treat them obviously terribly, the ones yeah. that take them out the back and hit them with a rock and kill them. Mm. But there are good people in that. Absolutely. And that's important people. for people to know. Yeah. The um the thing with greyhounds are is there people think, oh you've got to take them out. You got to walk them, mm. mate. My dog Rosie, right? Mm. She sleeps all night. We take her for a ten-minute walk. Mm. She sleeps all day. Take her for a ten-minute walk at six o'clock, and she sleeps all night. <laughs> That's all she does. She's the laziest thing I've ever met, <laughs> but the most loving and caring animal. And as you said, that's all sometimes someone needs in their yeah. life to lift them past Correct. that point of no, sadness. So true. But with myself, uh, as I said, I, I, I seek treatment and. Uh, it was the it was a weird thing to do, it was a hard thing to do, and even though no one knew about it, mm. uh, other than my immediate family, it still felt like I was living this weird sort of existence where I was something was wrong with me. I was damaged goods, and to sort of have that conversation with your own mind, and now to look back on it, I know that that was the best decision I could have made, mm. because um, over the six month period, I thought I was going crazy, as I said, and you sort of start to obsess, well, I did anyway. You have this obsessive uh, disorder almost where you constantly check for anxiety. Yeah. You make sure that- And that okay, actually makes you more anxious. anxious. And now now that I've sort of been through the process and it's been two years, I'm sort of getting to the point where, mm. you know, I can sort of understand what's going on. If I'm getting anxious, I don't think, oh, I've been anxious all day. I go, oh, I was fine 10 minutes ago. Mm. You know, it'll be right. It'll work itself it out. It will you know? pass. It does pass. Yeah. Well, this will pass. It's the Buddhists, I think, they say that. Very true. Absolutely, it's very yeah. true. Yeah. And becoming in touch with oneself and all that type of stuff, that is real. Mm -hmm. I tried a lot of things. I tried float tanks. Mm -hmm. uh, so have I. Yes. They were, they were great. I enjoyed yeah. them. But because I was in such a peak of anxiety, it was difficult for me for, to even relax in you there. You didn't like the lid on you, did you? No, I didn't mind the lid. Didn't yeah. mind the lid. I Claustrophobia really enjoyed didn't bother you? No, not even slightly. Okay, because you can have a float and you don't have to have the lid down if you are I claustrophobic. People should do it, even mm -hmm. just for recovery, athletically. For those that don't know what a 
you know. Float tank. Float is. tank is. It's, the water's about that deep and it's so full of salt you can't sink. You just... Yeah. About right. a thousand. And, it's just, and they put a little bit of quiet music on. Chills you. It's great. A couple of hundred kilos of uh, Epsom salts. So mm-hmm. it's full of magnesium. Relaxes yeah. everything. There's music going on mm. and you're deep in it. And to the point where you feel like you, you, you lose, you know, the, the concept of reality. Mm. You feel like, I don't know if you had the same experience. I felt at moments like I was standing up. I felt mm. at moments like I was floating away. Right. I had uh, visual um, hallucinations. I saw stars and I saw faces. Yeah. No, I didn't see any faces. <laughs> I saw stars and I was never upright. I was always aware that I was flat on my back. But I always I liked the fact that you float and then your little tail will hit, yeah. hit, the, hit the side. And, but just and an hour, the first few times I did it, an hour goes like yeah. that. It's like I've been in here 10 minutes. And then you get out and you have a look at your... You're watching, well, actually, you've been in here an hour. And it just, it's great for the, um, not the immune system. What's the other system? Isaac, help me. Adrenal. Adrenal system. Adrenal system, which just chills you down. Yeah. Yeah. And I I go out to Newcastle Float Centre, and Jason Mm -hmm. out there looks after me. I haven't been out there in a long time. I know him. I stopped going because I started going in there and then being really conscious of the time I was in there and the hour, instead of going like that, (laughs) <laughs> felt like going for four hours. I hated it. Well, you've got to stop it. taking your iPhone into the float tank. I know, I know. I was too, I was too highly strung at that moment. But mm. um, I think, you know, you've got to go in there with a relaxed attitude as well. Mm. If you're worried about work, if you're worried about you need to do this, this and this, yeah. you need to be in the right mindset. You've got to treat yourself well for an hour. You've mm. got to be, this is Isaac's time. Yeah. This is Craig's time and everything else, you know, is put to one side. That. This one of the great lessons, and I've learned so many great lessons through this whole experience. I've said actually to people about uh, what happened in 2000 was the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. But it's also the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Now, that sounds like a total contradiction. But to me, I don't see it that way. The pain of going through this acute mental illness was the worst thing I've ever experienced. But so not only did people have to help me rebuild myself, I had to help. I had to buy in. I had to have skin in the game Hmm. here. So I had to take responsibility for choices to make sure I took medication all the time, which, you know, I wasn't always 100% effective with, you know, and um, being compliant with. You've got to be. Mm. That's it. That's the rule. You must be to keep yourself well with any of these type of illnesses and uh, eat better. Get back to some exercise. Barely touch alcohol anymore. I don't do drugs. I've never done drugs. I don't think, I think, uh, I understand why people drink and take drugs when they have mental health problems. They're trying to self-medicate. You know, if they're high, they want to ride the high. If they're low, they don't want to feel like rubbish, so they'll take something to get them back to here, or they'll throw down yeah. any number of beers. The end of the end of the day, it's counterproductive because, as you said earlier on, it's a you know, alcohol's a depressant. It's mm-hmm. going to throw you back down the hole in the next uh, day or so. And same with uh, anything that makes you high. Send your drug, take a drug. You know, it'll it'll drop you back. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I don't. I don't go there. I'm not preaching to anybody about the what, you, what they should right. do. But these are choices for me, and they keep me well. And for a lot of people, and this this goes for maybe ninety percent of cases, maybe eighty percent. Diet can help you. Yes, cutting the shit out. Sugar, mm-hmm. uh, refined carbohydrates. Fuck it off. Yeah. Diet, exercise. What I did. One of the best things I ever did was I started training in an MMA gym. Jiu-jitsu, yep. Well, I do boxing. Yeah. Fantastic training. Amazing. It exhausts you. It gets you to the point where you're, you're actually working on something. You're trying to get better at a skill. And you're trying to do something that is very physical. Mm. And for a man, it's also something that, you know, it, it, it's that testosterone thing. Mm. You know, you want to hit things. Yeah. You know. It's and a, it's great. You can hit a punching bag. Yeah. You can hit pads when there's someone holding them. You know, no one gets hurt. You get your your, your fitness levels up. You mm. develop your skill and all of those things you just mentioned. It, it ticks every box. Yeah. 
and I rate it highly. And there's, there's, there's other things. There's sleep. There's making sure you're not on your phone until the end of the night, which mm-hmm. I do all the time, and I shouldn't, but I should yeah. sleep better. There's, there's a whole range of different things, making sure there's, there's love in your life, there's a dog, there's all that type of stuff, and, you, yeah. and you're working towards something. You're not just working a dead-end job, you know? Yeah. You're trying to better yourself. But sometimes, and for me, it was the case, then I tried to get all my ducks in a row with that, and it was, and sometimes medication is that point hmm. where you need to have, uh, the, that is the point where you need intervention. Yep. And I think a lot of people, there is still a stigma, as we, as we spoke about earlier, with not only getting help, but there's a huge stigma with taking something. Yeah. Doctors are easy to prescribe it. Yeah. They will happily do it, uh, which is not a good thing. It's, <laughs> it's a good thing. But it's not always a good thing. No, as that's a first right. course. It might be the easy thing is to look. I've got a, you know, I've got a waiting room full of people. Mm. This is going to take me, you know, twenty five minutes. I'm going to be later and later. And, and this is not. This is. I'm talking generally here, and this might be a very minimal number of uh, practitioners we're talking about. It, the easy thing, as you say, is to look. Here's your, here's yeah. your script and go. And that for some people, medication is the answer. And sometimes these things are a little bit more layered. Mm. than that sometimes it's a combination yeah you know sometimes medication will just be the thing that mm. works for whatever yeah. reason yeah and maybe you've tried everything maybe you are training hard because there's a lot of footballers that have these depression and anxiety oh, issues mate. and very few I, of them come out about it but there are a lot of them i tell you i've had a lot of conversations with a lot of nrl players who no names of course but they got in touch and they said look i'm going through what you've been through I'm experiencing those things too, and sometimes it's the depression, and sometimes it's the high, and you know, there's been a, many we know of publicly, but there's a lot we don't know mm. of, and they, it's not just sportsmen and women, it's not just elite uh, athletes, it's anybody, and it doesn't matter whether you're 15 or you're 115, Absolutely. you're still as vulnerable or as likely or unlikely to experience a period like that in your. In your life you touched on sleep a moment ago now sleep for me on priorities was never particularly high you know I slept when I slept but um, it I didn't see as see it as being critical to my own well-being until I slept poorly and I went through that period where I didn't sleep and I was awake at 11 o'clock at night and the mind would be ruminating and I'd be thinking over things about you know what did I do yesterday Oh, I could have done that better. Classic perfectionist behaviour too, cool. I might add. Can't fix it. It's gone. Yesterday's gone. What am I doing tomorrow? Well, I can't fix that either because tomorrow hasn't arrived yet. It didn't stop me thinking about it. And that's why I put sleep almost right at the top of the list in terms of my mental well-being now. I need to sleep properly. And I do a lot of speaking now, a lot of public speaking on mental health all ranges from you know from conferences down to schools um, a lot of blue collar sites work sites and i remember speaking on a mind site about 12 months ago about the importance of sleep and to good mental health and a bloke put up his hand through the session and he said it's all right for you to say you know it's important to get sleep we're working rotating shifts here at this mine we are they're 12 hour shifts you know, our, our um, sleep patterns are all over the shop, you know. So give me an answer. So I thought about it for a minute. And good sleep, regardless of you working those, those split shifts and those rotating shifts, which make it dreadfully hard, I might add, really challenging. The other things you've got to look at is winding down. You've got to wind down. If you're having problems sleeping, you know, the first thing you do is get off that phone that you're on, mm. right? So you... you if you're having problems sleeping, you don't want to be on that thing at, you know, 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night. But the, 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 the process starts much earlier in the day, right? After midday, no caffeine, none. No coffees, no green teas, no Coca-Colas, nothing that's got caffeine in it that's going to wind you up and stimulate your system. So uh, if you're going to have something hot, and I'd even go as far as black tea, anything that's got a bit of caffeine in it, have a herbal tea. It might sound like it's a bit wussy, but you're going to be thanking it at about 10 o'clock that night. So you're just all the time uh, towards, as you getting to the time you're finishing work, you're going home. And if you're sleeping really poorly and feeling agitated, panicked, 
with anxiety, get in a bath. Have a bath. Epsom salts in it. Put some rosemary oil or some other, you know, essential oil in there. Um, read a book that you enjoy and just soak there. No? Soak there. Once again, you're winding it down. Don't eat after eight o'clock. Have something to eat before. So your digest your digestive system isn't working hard mm. when you're trying to go to sleep. And the other thing is, I love ACDC. I love the Rolling Stones. I love midnight oil with a passion. I don't have him blaring through the headphones at 9.30 at night if I want to be asleep by 10.30. It's not going to happen because you go to a rock concert, you go to something that's going to wind you up, you can't sleep when you get home. So if you're having problems sleeping, I'd say put that, do those things to start with. Hmm. So he said, oh, well, I'll try those things. I think the bit that pissed him off most was the ACDC. He said, oh, I've got to have my ACDC. <laughs> Who's listened to ACDC before they go to bed? People are. Fucking hell. Some people are. <laughs> um, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying about sleep. And I think it's a problem that not only does the youth have, yeah. but older people, they're getting their hands on you know, smartphones, all that type of stuff, and it's yeah. something that you'll see. And you know, you hear people talk about the circadian rhythms, all these type mm-hmm. of things that you need to be in touch with. You think about... 10,000 years, not even 10,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, uh, we have dinner at maybe 4 o'clock in the afternoon, if we have dinner at all, and the sun goes down, mm. everyone's bored shitless, they're looking at the fire, <laughs> may as well go to bed. May as well go to bed. <laughs> that's how you sort of build, right? Yeah. You have yeah. your dinner, you digest mm. it, and then you're asleep. And, and now the it. world is full of distractions. All the distractions. Yeah. There's always something to There's do. There's a new shiny to toy everywhere. Mm. And with the kids, you, you mentioned the dopamine hit mm. with the social media now, and it's it's real. It's real. We're not talking about, we're not just pulling something out of the sky here. You know, and look, I'm not here to, you know, bag social media at all. I use it. I all use all those platforms, but I'm very conscious about when and for how long, right? But uh, those notifications you talked about, every time you get a notification or a like, there's a little hit, little dopamine hit, which is, it's a chemical mm. reaction going on there. But it all ties in with the, the kids who are in their vulnerable years through 13, 14, 15, 16. They're vulnerable years anyway without all this stuff going on. They're puberty, right? Fitting in, yeah. peer group pressure, all of these things. Throw in the bullying online and they're, they're constantly looking at their phones because or well, most are, many are. I've put something up. Has anyone liked that? And they keep checking. They're not hearing any pings. No one's liking it. I don't feel good about myself because no one's liking my stuff. Mm. And then someone else will put something up and in their world, everyone likes it. It's going off. Bing, 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 bing. 120 likes within 10 minutes. What happens? I feel good about myself. Mm. So in the sp- two different situations, social media, one I feel good about myself, the other one I don't. Mental health suffers as a result if this goes on too long. And if it's going on at 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, how are you going, going to get a good, good night's sleep. sleep? You're not going to get a good night's sleep. You, you need those hours of REM sleep. Hmm. That's where the body sort of repairs itself on a psychological level. Yeah. Which is what that, what, what, obviously I don't know that, hmm. but what I've heard. Hmm. Uh, I think it's, it, it, there's so many different ways people can be, uh, their mental health condition, which is underlying. And as I said at the start, I think everyone's going to experience it at one point. Mm-hmm. Severe levels, not so severe levels, whatever. You're going to experience it. Mm-hmm. And it might be exacerbated by uh, bullying. It might be exacerbated by a breakup. Maybe it's a breakdown in the workplace. Maybe it's uh, you, you put on weight. Who knows? Mm. All these type of things. I think the lesson that was important for us to talk about today, and just or maybe just to wrap it all up, yeah. is that... Help is there. Yep. Maybe Absolutely, it's there. It's there. It's doable. People have done it. You have done it. I'm on the journey that I'm on right now to completing that and almost like recovering from a severe, severe cancer or something like that mm. where you think all is lost, you're coming back from it, mm-hmm. and it's doable. And for everyone out there, you can do it. Here's two examples yeah. of getting on with your life. It's not easy, and you said that earlier, it's not easy. It's tough. It's a challenge. 
I was blessed with all the support around me. And that's why I do what I do. I can tell the story. I don't care anymore what people think about my story, if they think less of me as a, an individual because he's got mental illness. He's had all these really weird, crazy experiences. And so, um, you know, I'm not on the invite list anymore. Couldn't care less. Mm. Could not care less. I learned a number of years ago that what someone else thinks about me is none of my business anyway. They'll mm. think what they like, whether it's good, bad, indifferent. I've got no control over it, so I don't lose any sleep. The opinions that matter to me are my close circle. But if I can make a difference, and I think you are, you're doing a great job. And you know, you, you're going into a different realm all the time with the work you do um, to, you know, you're not just doing your stand up, uh, which is very good. I like what you do, but you're I doing, um, you've shown you've got a, a real uh, bag of tricks, if you like. And this is, you know, you've, you're on the money. Thank you very much. And thank you for coming on. No, my podcast. pleasure. One of the best episodes we've ever done. We've only mm -hmm. done a couple, but one of the best. <laughs> yeah. Um, Certainly you've done two and I'm in the top two. <laughs> um, what can we plug for you? You mentioned your book before. Is it still on sale? Well, I've got two. Two. I've got two books. Uh, the first one was published in 2004. Yep. So it's been out for a while and it that's broken open. And in terms of sales in Australia, it has... Um, Really don't. Well, it's sold 40,000 copies in Australia now. Now, where can people get that? Tell them to that camera right now. You can get Broken Open in many bookshops. Uh, it's available to, you can order it in bookshops, but you can get it online through Amazon. All the big online uh, book publishers will have it online. I've also got a website. So just head to, just Google Craig Hamilton and you will find me and you can get a book there. Thanks for yeah. coming on. Mate. And the other one's A Better Life. Better life. A better life. I'm interrupting. My apologies. That's the second one. Yeah. That was, uh, that was uh, published a few years ago. And that's really the road back. That's the road back. Because you've got to walk that road, but there is a road back. And uh, there's tools and all those things we talked about in making choices and staying well, the sleep, the diet, the exercise, learning how to do yoga and meditate and all that stuff. That's all in there. Beautiful. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank Craig you, Craig Hamilton, ladies and gentlemen, an absolute pleasure. And I'll tell you what, you've got to get involved in this podcast. You've got to check it out on iTunes, go and leave a review. If you haven't done that already, are you absolutely kidding yourself? I'll tell you what, get that done absolutely immediately. I am on tour at the moment as well. I'm going all over the country, all over the world, in fact. It's the best show there's ever been, in my humble opinion. So come out and make sure you get in. Just, just get involved. It's going to be great. And subscribe if you haven't done that already, if you are watching this on the old YouTubes. If not, if you're listening to this, do you subscribe on iTunes, Connor? I think you break. I think so, yeah. Yeah, you subscribe on iTunes. <laughs> Press that button as well. Be a good motherfucker. Peace in the Middle East. I'll see you later. <laughs> Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.